Well, this morning, my message uh, is making reservations on a sinking ship. <laughs> wait, wait, why not buy me again? We're going to make reservations on a sinking ship. <laughs> and it's not the Titanic. Yeah. I always liked the idea, no, I didn't like that, but I've used it sometimes in the stories or teaching that I would do at the hospital and say, you know, sometimes you feel like you're rearranging the furniture on the Titanic. No matter how it looks, it's still going down, you know. And um, in our lives, it, sometimes we're just rearranging the, the, the pattern of things and our life is still sinking. Well, this morning we're looking at Paul and um, his, some of his life. And, and I thought it was interesting if you read, when you're reading the book of Acts, um, I believe it's four chapters, 20, chapter 23 through 28, all deal with Paul and his interaction with the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, and, and the, the Roman rulers, and so on. And uh, it's, it's like, why so long, uh, so much of the book of Acts is put, uh, put in perspective with Paul and his imprisonment and all the things going wrong? Well, I think sometimes we forget that we, even the best laid plans and even following the plan of God and the will of God, sometimes things just don't work out the way we think they should. And sometimes we jump to conclusions before the end is really here. Anybody do that? This is bad. This is never going to get any better. And life is over and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, what I thought I would do, and I don't think I've ever done this before, I'm going to, have a, I'm going to read a lot of the, of the chapters in these verses, in chapters 20, 25, 25, 26, 27, and 28. It's going to be a lot of reading, yeah. But I'm not going to read every verse. But I, I wanted us to, to get the picture of what's going on and how that Paul is facing these obstacles, and it's just one seemingly after another, and one doesn't get finished till another one starts and towards the end of, of this um, story in chapters 27 and 28. It just seems like they're all kind of crushed together. But in chapters 23 through 28, Paul, is, Paul has had his, um, chapter 23, at the end of chapter 23, he's had his run-in with the Sanhedrin with the uh, religious leaders in Jerusalem, and, you know, they don't like the, the message that Paul is giving. Now, we have to understand that with Jesus Christ being resurrected from the dead, with him being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the temple, which makes up 90% of, of, of Jerusalem's economy, is no longer necessary. They don't need to offer sacrifice. Jesus is the sacrifice. That the, the priests and temples, we, they don't need them anymore because individual priests, we are all priests unto God offering our own lives. So when Stephen was declaring the message of, of Jesus and when he got to the point of how that Jesus is risen from the dead, they went on him, gnashed on him, and stoned him to death. Well, Paul has continued this ministry, you know, many, many years later, but it's still, the, the same reaction is still there with the religious leaders, the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, and so on, that they have this, 
we can't get rid of the temple, and we can't do away with the way it's always been. Because <laughs> yeah. we will die if we change. Life will never be good again. I remember when. I think sometimes we need to forget that. <laughs> forget what we remember when. So, Paul had um, heard from Jesus that he must, he has to, he's going to appear in Rome. So, Paul has this under, under, um, underlying understanding of what's going on with his imprisonment. Um, verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 23. The next day, Agrippa and Bernice came to the meeting with great show. So, Bernice is this mistress of about four or five different guys. And uh, Agrippa and her enter into this palace with great show. Um, the, this, this text says, acting very important. Okay, so they come in with all their pomp and ceremony. And they enter the room with military leaders, important men of the city. Festus ordered the soldiers to bring Paul in. So, okay, we've got all this going on, and let's bring in Paul. Now, did you ever feel intimidated by your surroundings? This was meant to intimidate Paul. You know, he has been in prison now for almost two years. Somewhere in here we find that he has, they, they, they arrested him, and um, Festus here, I believe it's Festus, I'll catch up my, with my notes and stuff here in a minute, but uh, Festus wanted to keep the religious leaders happy, but didn't want to kill Paul, okay? So let's just keep him in prison. We don't have to bring him to trial. Just let him sit in prison and we'll talk to him. Maybe he'll bribe me and I can let him go. <laughs> That's kind of was the thinking. Festus said, King Agrippa, and all you gathered here with us, you see this man. All the Jewish people here in Jeru and in Jerusalem have complained to me about him. Now I was like exaggerations. All the Jewish people in Jerusalem and in here with us here in Caesarea. Okay. There isn't one person that hasn't complained about Paul. <laughs> you, know, you, have, you ever meet exaggerators? Well, <laughs> they're trying to get Paul to, um, you know, to look bad. So all the people complain about him. They shout that he should be killed. All of them are killing one of him killed, okay? When I judged him, I did not find him guilty of any crime worthy of death. But he asked to be judged by Caesar, so I decided to send him to Rome. Now, the, the challenge was, they were going to, the, the guys from Jerusalem had come up and visited with um, uh, Festus. And um, they, went, they had a little scheme going on. You come up here and bring all these charges against him, and I'll send him back to Jerusalem. And, but on the way, you can attack and kill him. And so there'll be no trial. <laughs> so that, that was the plan, you know, best laid plans of mice and men. So the challenge here that what, okay, what, what, okay, what is it that you're trying to say through all of this? There are people who scheme against you. Some of them are political, high-minded. Some of them are just the, you know, leaders, or some of them are just seemingly nobodies, but they, they can scheme and plan and plot and do all these things behind the scenes, but the challenge for us is to remain faithful to what we know is correct. To remain faithful to the truth that is in our hearts and lives that the scripture is giving to us. 
And we're all going to face these things. We are going to face times in which people say wrong things about us for good or bad. They're trying to, you know, sometimes when they're trying to puff us up, uh, you know, get on the good side of us, they'll make us more than what we are. And then, of course, whenever we've done all the things that they think we should, they'll try and tear us down because they're really not that good. They're just arrogant and all that kind of stuff. The challenge is for us to continually be who God has called us to be and that we continue to grow and develop. No matter what the schemes and no matter what the problems are, our focus is on Jesus and how that Christ is in our life. So Paul had been in prison for two years. (laughs) And Festus had Paul visit him frequently. And again, it was basically, you know, he wanted to hear what Paul had to say, but he was hoping that he'd come up with a bribe. And uh, and he, he would let him go, but that didn't happen. So when Felix was replaced by uh, Porcius Festus, okay, when Felix was replaced, he de- his desire to do a favor for the Jews, 24-7, I didn't read that one. So three days after Festus had taken over for Felix, he went up to Jerusalem when the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him and presented their charges against Paul. He's going, now he's a new leader. He's going to go and he's going to make sure he's got the truth about this. So they schemed with Festus to do them a favor. Sounds like American politics. <laughs> you do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. You owe me, I owe you, and we'll just keep this thing going around in circles and I'll, get, I'll do what you want and you can do what I want. And Well, that's kind of what was going on here. And uh, they wanted uh, some of the leaders in uh, Jerusalem to come up to Caesarea and, and testify, and then we'll send them back to Jerusalem. Well, when you follow God's direction, we would think that there should be, you know, pretty smooth sailing. No pun intended for what's coming. Now you would think that there should be some pretty smooth sailing that life should be pretty easy and work out pretty familiarly, you know, that, you know, it's going to go there. This might be some rough times, but it's not. Well, (laughs) Paul looked like some pawn on a chessboard being moved around by the kings uh, and princess and that he was was somebody willing by them to be sacrificed for the good of the people, for the good of peace in, in the nation. Well, chapter 26, verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, you may now speak to defend yourself. Paul raised his hand. It wasn't like the teacher calling on Paul. (laughs) He raised his hand because he knew he had to get them all to shut up. (laughs) They weren't going to listen. So he raised his hand. He said, okay, once once I have your attention, because Paul's an orator. He knows what he's doing. He's he's not some schmuck. that got hauled off the streets for some dumb thing. Paul is a very educated man. He is, could have been in the Jewish sect of, of Jerusalem. He could have been the leader of it. I mean, he's a brilliant man. He's a brilliant speaker. He is well-versed in the Old Testament. He's well-versed in who Jesus is and the mission of Christ and all that. And so he's about, it's your turn to speak. So... Not everybody's paying attention to him because they think he's, you know, just some prophet. He raises his hand, okay, once I have all your attention. 
He said, King Agrippa. No. I like his introduction. If you want to know how to give a speech, I feel fortunate. I feel fortunate that I can stand here before you today and answer all the charges these Jews have made against me. I feel fortunate that I have the opportunity to speak with you today, that you've come to be so attentive to what I have to say, and how the God is going to work in your life. What happens? Oh, you start to listen back. I should practice this. <laughs> I should do this a little more often, you know? And then he says, I feel fortunate. Then he says, I'm very happy to talk to you. Now, he's been in prison for two years, <laughs> waiting a trial. But we don't have to take him to trial because there's no... Uh-huh. There's no statute of limitations or whatever. He's in stay in prison as long as I say he stays in prison. So he said, I'm happy to talk with you today. Please listen to me patiently. In about 35 minutes after my beginning, I should bring this up. Please listen to me patiently. All the Jews know. And so he, Paul begins by talking about his own life because that's what's really on trial, his life. The Jews know about my whole life. They know, this is verse 4. They know the way I lived from the beginning in my own country and later in Jerusalem. These Jews have known me for a long time. If they want to, they can tell you that I was a good Pharisee. <clears throat> and the Pharisees obey the laws of the Jewish religion more carefully than any other group. Now I am on trial because I hope for the promise that God made to our fathers. Trying to link what he believes to what the other people believe. And, and it's true, and, and it is correct. He's not leading them on some uh, wild goose chase. He's leading them back to the resurrection. When Abraham took Isaac up to the mount to kill him, what does he say to his, to his uh, servants? Wait here. I and the boy are coming back. Abraham knew he was going to kill him, but he believed in the resurrection because I and the boy are coming back. He believed that even if he killed his son, God was capable of raising him from the dead. That's the resurrection. And so here Paul is tying into the, from the foundation of their faith, the beginning of their, of their nation, there's a belief in the resurrection. And he says, I hope for the promise that God made to our fathers. This is the promise that all the 12 tribes our people hope to receive. For this hope the Jews serve God day and night. My king, the Jews have accused me because I hope for the same promise. Why do you people think it is impossible for God to raise them from the dead? <laughs> I'm very happy to be here. I very, feel very fortunate. Please listen to me carefully. <laughs> Why do you think it's impossible for God to raise people from the dead? I used to think that I should do everything I could against these this Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul goes through his, his um, things that he did wrong. And I always I, I challenge, you know, Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is Paul trying to 
forget. I believe it's right here in these verses. And when they were being killed, this is verse 10, and that's what I did. Beginning in Jerusalem, the leaders, priests, gave me the authority to put many of God's people in jail. And when they were being killed, I agreed that it was a good thing. Paul had to deal with his part in taking the lives of followers of Jesus Christ. He goes on in verse 12. He says, One time the leading priest gave me permission and the authority to go to the city of Damascus. And on the way there at noon, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun. It shined all around me and, whose, and those traveling with me. We all fell to the ground. Then I heard the voice talking to me in Aramaic. The voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're only hurting yourself by fighting me. The realization, either individuals that you have been talking to about Jesus, either people that, you know, we think are beyond being saved. Well, Paul was one of them. And Paul gives us the answer behind the fight. The fight is, you're only hurting yourself by fighting me. People who are fighting against God, there's inside of them this, they're fighting against the good that God could bring into their life, but they're afraid of it. <laughs> They've been against it for so long, again it. They've been against it for so long, they can't, they can't give themselves permission to go there because if they do, then everything I've been fighting against for all these years would be wrong. <laughs> the Lord said, I am Jesus. I am the one you are persecuting. Stand up, I have chosen you to be my servant. Wow. Paul gives this testimony. You know, it's, impor it's important for us to offer our testimony our testimony that comes with an expectation that God has brought us to this point in time for a purpose. There's something about us that God wants to do and bring to the lives of others. So what is it that God has done in your life? Putting our finger on it. What is it God is doing? What is it that we are believing for God to do? You see, the world is not interested in how we can be like them. God is interested in how we can be like him. And in that process, create the place where these people who are running from God can find Christ, kicking against the, the, the pricks of their consciousness. Verse, chapter 26, verse 25. Paul said, Most honorable Festus, I'm not crazy. <laughs> After Paul gave this testimony, Festus says, you're nuts. You know, we don't, you know we're not going to believe any of this stuff. You're nuts. And Paul says, most honorable Festus, I'm not nuts. <laughs> People say, you know, you know, did you hear what you had to say? 
Did you, did you think about what you're trying to tell me that God has done in your life and you're thinking about God? You know, could you, and you just come right back and say, no, I'm not nuts. <laughs> I'm not nuts. One guy said, to, it was a, it was a, I think it was a, a T-shirt, said, I haven't lost all my marbles, just my bag has a hole in it. <laughs> so... Paul says, I'm not crazy. What I am saying is true. It all makes perfect sense. King Agrippa knows all about this. He brings in King Agrippa. He knows all about this. He knows what I'm talking about. King Agrippa says, do you believe, this is verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe that the prof- what the prophets wrote? I know you believe. Can you imagine? Okay, Paul's talking to the king. And he says, I know you believe. Do you ever tell the person that's so dead set against your beliefs, so dead set against your testimony, and you just come right back, I know you believe underneath all this garbage that you're throwing out here. You really do believe, don't you? (laughs) Well, King Agrippa says, do you think you can persuade me to become a Christ follower so easily? And Paul says, yeah. (laughs) I, I think so. It's not important if it's easy or hard. I pray to God that not only you, but everyone else listening here today will be saved. Paul had this expectation that the Holy Spirit was going to take what he had to say and take it to the hearts of men. Whether it's the king or whether it's anybody else listening in the court, it's all going to be taken care of by the Holy Spirit. Verse 30. King Agrippa, Governor Festus, Bernice, and all the people sitting there with him stood up and left the room. They were talking to each other. They said, this man has done nothing worthy of being put to death. We even put to jail. So they almost, in verse 32, they blame Paul for making the wrong, t- making the wrong choice. He wants to go see Caesar. So He's a Roman. He's got the right. We'll send him to see Caesar. But you see, the challenge is they were, they were plotting to send Paul back to Jerusalem and have him ambushed on the way, and so he knows their schemes, and he says, I appeal to Caesar. He got, he got around their schemes. 27 verse 9. Well, verse, verse 27, chapter 1. Tra- chapter 27, verse 1. It was decided that they would sail to Italy. So Paul is going to Rome. Finally, after all this time, two years in prison, you know, this, these trials and these, the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders, and you know, all this is going, and finally, the, the uh, understanding that Paul had that God wanted him to go to Rome, it's now coming, okay? So they set sail. Well, they don't have smooth sailing. They run into all kinds of problems. Verse 9, we lost much time. It was now dangerous to sail because it was already after the Jewish day of fasting. Paul warned them, men, I can see that there, is a, there will be a lot of trouble on this trip. So 
this is one of those things, we don't know if it's God telling this to Paul or it's just Paul's understanding of sailing and what's going on in the time period. He, he says here, I can see. So he's telling the captain, he's telling the owners of the ship, you know, and this is no little tiny ship. We have 200 and some people on it. So it's kind of a large ship. And uh, they're, they're going to be sailing off there. And he says, I don't think we should go. Um, I, I think we should stay. And so the army officers accepted, and they said instead of believing Paul, they said, we're going to go on. When people disagree with you, even when you know you're right, you just back away. <laughs> God will have a way of bringing it around to good. You know, we studied this in a Sunday school lesson. When God said that everything he made was very good, it meant that everything was in right relationship with him and right relationship with each other. The world, the creation, the people, you know, uh, Adam and Eve, it's all very good. It all was working together as one. Now we have a promise that God says all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God has a way of putting the good together even in the midst of what doesn't seem to be good. God will bring it together, and we see this coming, the storm. Verse 13. Then a good wind began to blow from, with the, from the south, and the men on the ship thought, oh, this is the wind we wanted, and now we have it, and so we're going off. We're off, so weigh anchor. We sailed very close to the island of Crete, but then a very strong wind called the Nor'eastern, oh, we're familiar with those, came from across the island, and this wind took the ship and carried it away. The ship could not sail against the wind, so we stopped trying and let the wind blow. Wow. We went below a small island named uh, Claudia, with the island protecting us from the wind, we were able to bring the lifeboat. Now, lifeboats at that time were towed behind the boat. You know, they weren't anchored to the side of the boat like we have suspended. They were towed behind the boat, and so uh, they brought in the lifeboat. They had enough time from all the wind and storm to pull the boat up and bring it on board. But it was very hard. After the men brought the lifeboat in, they tied ropes around the ship. So the ships were not really held together that well, so they tied ropes around the bottom of the ship, brought the, and they pulled it together, holding the ship together in the storm. So they're, they're, they're settling in for a long haul. They were afraid that the ship would be hit on the sandbanks of uh, Scythia. So they lowered the sail and let the wind carry the ship. The next day, the storm was blowing against us hard that men threw some things out of the ship. A day later threw out the ship's equipment. For many days could not see the sun or the stars. They had no idea where they were at. Verse 21. The men did not eat for a long time. Then one day Paul stood up before them and said, Men, I told you so. Did you get your attention? You know, all those people who are against you all the time. I told you it was going to happen like this. I told you not to leave Crete. You should have listened to me. Then you would not have all this trouble. But, okay, he's reminding them of how, how right he was. But, verse 22, 
Now I tell you to be happy. None of you will die. Ship will be lost. Last night an angel came came to me from God, the God I worship and belong to. The angel said, Paul, don't be afraid. You must stand before Caesar. Once again comes the promise in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of wondering. Okay, here's Paul. He's just gone through two years of this back and forth. When are you going to let me out of prison? When are they going to come and demand my life? When are they going to kill me? And it finally comes to an end, and Paul says, what God put in his heart, I'm going to go to Rome. So, boom, going to go to Rome, going to see Caesar. And God has given you this promise. So God gave me the promise, and I'm giving you this promise. He will save the lives of those sailing with you. So, men, there is nothing to worry about. I trust God. He didn't say they trust God. I trust God. You know, whenever we're talking to people about God, I'm trusting God for you. (laughs) I'm trusting God for you. So that the God of heaven and earth who, who you're fighting against, underneath, you're going to, you believe in God, don't you? And you believe that God wants to save you from your sins. You've just been fighting all the way. I'm trusting God for you that it's going to happen in your life. Verse 27. On the 14th night, 14 days, day and night, they've been fighting this storm. They threw a rope into the water with weights on the end. You know, whenever we think of anchors, we often think of those big metal hang, you know, with the hooks on and stuff. Most of the time, at that time period, anchors were just big uh, stones, round stones, big stones with holes in the middle and ropes tied to them. They throw them overboard. That was their anchor. They prayed for daylight to come. Verse 33. Just before dawn, Paul began persuading all the people to eat something. For the past two weeks, you have been waiting and watching You've not eaten for 14 days. Now I beg you to eat something. You need it to stay alive. None of you will lose even one hair of your head. There were 276 people on this boat. Verse 39. When daylight came, the sailors saw the land, but they did not know what land it was. So they didn't know where they were at. And so they saw the beachy area. <laughs> and at the same time, they united the ropes, were holding the rudders, and so on. They cut them, verse 41. But the ship hit a sandbank. The front of the ship stuck. The big waves came and began to break the back of the ship into pieces. Verse 22, 42. The soldiers decided to kill the prisoners. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I just told you that you're, you're going to be saved. And they said, well, we've got to kill you anyhow because you're a prisoner. We don't want you to escape. You escape, we die. We'd like to live. We'll kill you. <laughs> so there again, Paul, all this time, he's <laughs> going to be killed by the soldiers. But Julius, the army officer, wanted to let Paul live. And so the ship breaks up, and the people who could swim jumped in first, and those who waited for the ship to break up, they could get on boards and and swim into shore, and sure enough, all of them lived. Chapter 28. When we were safe on land, we learned that the island was called Malta. 
The people who lived there were very good to us. It was raining and very cold, so they built a fire and welcomed all of us. Paul gathered a pile of sticks for the fire, and he was putting the sticks on the fire, and a poisonous snake came out because of the heat and bit him on the hand. What an end. I did all of this and would die by a snake. But you know, Paul didn't look at it that way. Paul didn't think, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm going to die of a snake bite. He just took this snake and he holds it over the fire. He was having roasted snake bits. And eventually the snake let go and, and went into the fire. The, when the people lived on the island saw the snake hanging from his hand, this man must be a murderer. I'm ne- your testimony. I'm never going to live for Christ because of you, snake. <laughs> There's a snake for you. The man just be, he did not die in the sea, but justice has come. <laughs> but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and was not hurt. The challenge of all that we have said, Paul knows he's going to Rome. It has taken him forever to get there. Two years and some time. All the conflict, all of the, you know, the posturing of the, of, of the, community, of the religious community, of the political community, everybody coming in in their pontus ceremony and, you know, we're going to do this and Paul's going to, we're going to send him back and we're going to kill him on the way and all of this going on, then, no, he's going to Rome. We got on the ship to Rome and, oh, what is it? They shouldn't have sailed. But, oh, it's a storm. I told you. And a place 14 days without food and it's like, where are we? And finally God says we're going to make it and we get stuck in the sandbar and the ship breaks up and I'm finally standing on solid ground after 14 days and I pick up sticks and a snake bites me. What a life. What a life. You see, when things go wrong, it doesn't mean they're wrong at all. It's all for divine good. All things work together for good. Everything fit in accordance with who God is and one another. And Paul is there on the island, and he shapes, shakes off the snake. When things go wrong, shake off the snake. Because what will happen is you won't die. This will not be the end of you. This is the beginning beginning of a new ministry and Paul there on that island and he was there for three months witnessing to and, and praying for and healing and the spread of the ministry of Christ and all those, all those guards and all those people they were captive audience for Paul three months later he ends up going to Rome but you see whenever we are bit shake it off because life is more than a shipwreck than storms, than people scheming and conniving to destroy. Life is much greater than all those things, and life is much greater than a snake bite, because it all is about fulfilling the plan of God that he has placed in your heart. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you.
in the difficult times of life, when we feel like we are bitten, that nothing could possibly go right, it all has gone right. It all has been there for the good, to bring us to the point where your spirit will work in our hearts and lives, and the greater miracle continues to come. We, we live through one miracle to face another problem, but it only presents a greater miracle. So we are grateful. We ask you, Lord, to be with us. Guide us on our journey. Place within our hearts and minds the purpose for our life in you. And Lord, you will continue to work out that purpose. We thank you for it. And no matter what the poison of the snake or what people say or do, no matter what poison they may try to inject, it is harmless because we have you, Lord, guiding our life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.